0: When we last saw Indy, he had been given the opportunity to save the children of the orphanage. But he blew it, royally bumbled, goofed up major. Worst decision.
1: Okay, all right, I think, I think uh, we've got the picture there. All right, so maybe I kinda overextended myself financially. Kinda? <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, can I move on? Okay, so I kind of got myself in a little bit of financial problems, but hey,
0: I got it all covered now. I'm out of debt, so.
1: Indy, look at the children. These pictures, they're just beautiful. I'm so glad they're okay. I mean, that mean and ugly Baylock, he's a horrible person. He must not have a mother. You know, I thought for sure it was going to be the end when you weren't able to save them. Sorry. You know, they said he just walked away fed up. Can you believe that? I mean, after hearing the kids sing and dance for 24-7, day after day, he just couldn't take all the happiness. Just put his head in his hands and walked away mumbling. Weird. Indy? Indy? Indy, are you listening to me? You've been preoccupied the whole time. Are, are you looking for something? Yeah, um, yeah, kind of. Indy? You, you do have that trust money I came for, right? You haven't lost it? Uh, no, I don't, just can't find it right now. Can you help me? Hmm. A bill from the hair club for men? Bills for whip lessons? and snake phobia Okay, so all right, uh, just, keep, just keep looking. It's, it's around here somewhere. Ooh, snakes, I hate snakes. You know, they're really counting on us, Cindy. You gotta find it. I mean, that's not ours, it was entrusted to us. I found it. Are, are you telling me you took all of that money and you put it in an envelope and stuck it in a box? Yep, and I didn't lose it. But, but we did lose, Indy. Mama and the children were counting on us. We were to invest. You were to grow that money. It, it could be double by now. What are we going to do? Oh, Indy! <laughs>
0: Hey, happy Father's Day. (laughs) Boy, we are enthused about that. All right. Now, hey, I I just want, if if you're in the room today and you are a father, I just, man, I want to speak honor to you. I mean, in a time in our culture where just being a dad, just being a man uh, of your home and for your kids, just seems to be an absolutely lost art. If you're a dad here today and you're filling that role and you're stepping up and making good on it, i man, honor all over you for that. Matter of fact, can I just ask the men that are dads to stand up today? Would you do that? We just want to honor you. Very cool. Very cool. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for your example. Thank you for not being at the lake today. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you were here last week, you probably cut on and uh, we're um, we're in a series and we're talking about money. And uh, and before uh, you kind of nudge your spouse and go, how many weeks did they say this series is? We could come back in about four. Um, look, you don't need to agree. You don't. You don't. You don't have. We're not going to beat you up. We're not going And and at the end of the day, you can just go look. I no. As a matter of fact, if you're here and you're pre-Jesus and just having to figure out God, then a lot of what we're going to say is kind of preliminary. You're gonna, you know, this is something that's going to become very real and very important for you later on during the journey, but right now you get a, a pass on the deal. But here's why I think you and I have to pause and talk about this. Because if you and I were really straight up, some of the worst decisions of our lives, some of the Oh, my goodness, moments involved finances, had price tags. Isn't it true that some of the biggest arguments, some of the the greatest moments of crisis of faith, some of the times when you sat there and said, God, look, look, that is dumb. That's just crazy. My answer is no. We're about money. You know, they say uh, within marriages as they uh, struggle and sometimes fall apart, uh, number one point of conflict, it's not sex, money. And isn't it interesting that this topic, this conversation that you and I are going to have for the next couple of weeks, actually so deeply affects the two most important relationships of our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse. And here's all I'm going to ask. Is it possible... Is it possible that, that what we grew up seeing our parents do or what we've always watched our friends uh, handle uh, when it comes to... What, what if what if that part's all wrong? And, and, and what if in the process of just simply being willing to have a conversation, just explore the topic together, all of a sudden you and I discovered answers that changed the outcomes? Because isn't the truth... The the reason you and I are where we are right now is because we're handling money the way we've always handled it. And what if God had something to say about the topic that could change the trajectory for us, that could bring peace into our lives? So I'll admit, could you just stay in the room for the conversation? You don't have to agree, you don't have to sign anything, just could we talk about it and figure out if God has something important to say about it? For most of us, this has been kind of a, a lifelong struggle, lifelong journey. And, and the reason for it is, is that most of us are kind of like Jimmy Stewart uh, when it comes to our money. Now, here's what I mean by that. Uh, there's, a, there's an old movie that has Jimmy uh, Stewart uh, in it. It's called Shenandoah. And uh, in this particular movie, uh, she, uh, Jimmy Stewart is a widower. And uh, when his wife was dying, left him with a whole bunch of kids, her wish on her deathbed was, Jimmy, look, would you just raise these kids in a Christian home? So in this little clip that we're getting ready to show you, he's, he's trying to do his best to do that on behalf of her wife. The fun part about the clip is, is that he absolutely reveals how he feels about money and his stuff. So here's the clip. See what you think. Okay. So the answer is there's a little bit of Jimmy Stewart in all of us. I mean, if, if you really boil it down and get to it, we, we've all felt that way, right? We, we've all had that moment in which we go, look, I mean, God, I, I don't remember you being there in my college dorm room when I was studying for the exams. I, 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 I don't remember you doing overtime with me at Intel so that I could, you know, work my way up the corporate. I mean, I mean, no, I get it. I get it that there's kind of this sort of spiritual thing, and I'm supposed to be grateful and thank you, but I mean, if you, if you boil it down... If I hadn't done it, if, if I hadn't gotten behind the oxen and done the plowing, and if I hadn't cleared the fields, if, if, if I hadn't just flat worked my tail off, I, I'm not sure it'd be here. So, all things considered, it's here because of me, which makes it mine. Truth be told, there's a little bit of Jimmy Stewart in all of us. Jimmy Stewart in the Bible is a guy by the name of Abraham. And he has had a lifelong struggle on this part of the conversation. He he basically would say, No, 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 no. Who was the one in the field sweating? Who who was the one plowing? Who was the one gathering? Who was the one doing it? And and at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I've made a pretty good thing for myself. I've I've got a pretty good little pile of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, I made the pile, and therefore the pile is mine. Right? So grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis because God is going to choose to have a conversation with Abraham about this very topic. Where did the pile come from? And who does the pile really belong to? It's Genesis uh, chapter 20. Actually, Genesis chapter 22. And if you're not, I assume, front of the Bible, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. It's, it's actually a really strange story in the Bible that any of us that have hung around church for a while probably heard this in Sunday school when we were uh, little kids. But it's one of those bizarro stories you get to the end, you go on, and you go, well, that was nice. And, and what you and I don't get is that God does this moment in order to have this conversation with Abraham. Abraham, how did you get your pile? And who does the pile really belong to? And here's what, Abraham has struggled with this all his life. Just like you and me. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Some time later, God tested Abraham. So you, right off the bat, Scripture simply says, look, look, here, here's what this is. God says, I'm going to ask some questions. Because up until now, Abraham, you've missed this part of the exam. Up until now, your answers to these have been off. So this is kind of a retest. We're going to do a do-over here. I need to know that at this point in your, you have figured this out, and that as I begin to ask, who provided the pile, and whose pile is it anyways, that Abraham, you know the right answer. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I. Abraham replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Whom you love and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about on the third day. Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he said, and he and himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, this kid ain't no dummy. Good question. Listen to Abraham's response. Abraham answered God Himself will provide. Every bit of this story hinges on whether or not Abraham believes what He just told His son or if he's simply giving him some nice Bible platitudes. Abraham, do you really, really, really believe that, that God will provide? And the two of them went on together. See, all the way up until now, Abraham has been absolutely convinced that his stuff is his stuff. He worked for it. He earned it. He's the one that had to get his education. He's the one that had to start at the bottom and work his way up. And, and just as far as Abraham has been concerned, he's just basically said, look, I, I provided it for myself and therefore it's my pile. You get this and you understand that this is what Abraham is dealing with out of a story that happens earlier in the life of Abraham. It happens uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 16. And here's where Abraham's basically saying, look, if, if I don't provide for my, it, it's just not going to get provided. I, whatever it, I, got, I if it's going to get done, I got to get it done. It's the story of Sarah, his wife, and... Abraham is about 100 at the time and his wife Sarah is 90, so I mean way, 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 way past bearing any children. And lo and behold, God comes to him and says, Abraham, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a son. And out of this son are going to be so many descendants, Abraham. There's going to be more descendants than all the stars of the sky. That's my promise to you. That's what I will provide, God says. And then guess what God does next? Nothing. Nothing, for year after year after year, nothing. And Abraham begins to say to himself, "Well, wow. I mean, it 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 just kind of looks like if if this is going to happen. I mean, if if this is going to be, we better provide for ourselves." And lo and behold, Sarah comes to him and says, "Hey, Abraham. You know, I, I was thinking." You know, God technically promised that you were going to have a son. I, I don't even remember being mentioned in things. So here's, here's, here's the deal. Look, look, look. I've got a maidservant. You could go and sleep with her. She could have a child for you. And we could help God provide. Abraham ponders for a minute. He looks over at Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. And he says, Sarah, that's a great plan. Wow, I bet you even God is impressed. What a, totally cool. And so Abraham ends up sleeping with Hagar. And lo and behold, a son, Ishmael, is born. And anybody want to guess what happens in a tent with two women there and one's got the firstborn son? And, of course, Abraham's sitting on that side of the tent a little more too often and playing with the new child, and Sarah's on the other side going, I mean, what am I, chop liver over here? And finally, she just says to Abraham, Abraham, you get her out of here, you get that child out of here, I I can't stand it anymore. You know, it's interesting, and some of you that know a little bit about Bible history know this, that Ishmael... Okay, ready for this? The son of I will provide for myself grows up to be the father of all the Arab nations. Isaac, the son of promise that's going to come later, the son that God's going to ask Abraham to take up the hill, has a son by the name of Jacob, the father of Israel. Isn't it interesting that the son of I will provide for myself has been at war through all of history with the son of God will provide. You know, we sit back and go, what, why in the world do these guys keep fighting? What, in the, what is going on? They have always been enemies. Ever since Abraham took providing in his own hand. Contrast, contrast that. Contrast that with the attitude of David, King David in Israel, because the the difference between how David looks at his pile and looks at his stuff, and how Abraham looks at providing for himself, are night and day. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles. Go with me, real quick, to the right. It's going to be in First Chronicles, which means you're going to see First Samuel, Second Samuel. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then you're going to get to 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. Let me tell you what's happening in this moment in the life of David. David has said to God, God, look, I want to build a temple for you. And God has responded and said, David, I, you, you can't do that. You're a man of blood. And some of you just know the story that when David got with Bathsheba, he had her husband, Uriah, killed, had him murdered And God just said, look, I can't have a guy who's murdered be the guy who builds the temple. But you can be the fundraiser, you can gather all the stuff together, and then your son Solomon can one day build the temple. And so David has taken on this project and he's collected all this stuff. A matter of fact, the response has been so amazing. It's been so incredible that as they've gathered the finances, as they've gathered all of the material, there's more than they need. I mean, they're going to build the temple, and there's going to be some left over. And in this passage, David is standing at the dedication service, dedicating all that's been brought in for the erection of the temple. And here's what he says, and here's why this is huge. Because David has more. David's pile is bigger than your pile or my pile is ever going to be. And it's interesting at who he believes gave him the pile and who it belongs to. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and this is verse 10. Here's what it says David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven is yours. No, David, no, no, David, no. It's, I worked for that. I mean, I, I stayed late. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor and everything in heaven is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things and in your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name and get this next thing. But who am I? Well, you're King David. You're one of the richest, most powerful men in the world. Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what came from your hand. You get what David's saying? David's saying, look, look, look. David's saying, look, I've I've got this huge pile. But I get that it was provided. It was given to me by God. Now, how does David get this? How does he understand this principle? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe when he sits in his throne and he's holding his king's scepter, he looks down in his hand and sees the callous from a shepherd's staff. And maybe he says in his heart, shepherds don't become kings unless God intervenes. And there is no way I sit on this throne if God hadn't provided. Maybe he remembers back to being a teenager. (laughs) A youth walking onto a battlefield with a giant by the name of Goliath. And bending over as all of Israel stood in fear and picking up a little river rock and putting it in a shepherd's sling and knowing deep down in his heart that rock was less a weapon and more a prayer. And maybe he remembers to this day, there is no way in the world I was capable of delivering that rock where it needed to go. And the only way it got to Goliath's forehead is because God it's interesting because there have been moments in your life and my life that we knew in that moment, we knew we knew it wasn't going to happen unless God showed up. Remember? Remember when you put that offer in on the house and you just said, God please, please, please. Please let him accept it. And then you went to get the financing, and, and you said, God, just, just let it go through. And you were approved. And somewhere, somewhere between signing the documents and moving the couch in the living room, you and I decided we had done it for ourselves. And it was mine. Remember when they started handing out pink slips? And Remember, remember you and I were praying, we're going, God, please, please, you, I can't afford to lose my job right now. Please, 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 don't, don't, don't let them stop at my desk. And remember they walked through your department and other people were getting them and you didn't get one? And in that moment, you said, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. But then four days later, when the paycheck came, it's mine. Remember when you were having a hard time having children? And you prayed, and you just said, God, look, look, one, just one. And now you got four? and you're pretty sure they're yours? <laughs> well, three of them for sure, no. <laughs> it, isn't it interesting that somewhere between our prayers, God will you provide, and when they show up, we decided we did it. Guys, this is, this is hard for us because here's, here's, you and I live in a culture in which we measure each other by the size and the quality of our piles. And, and, and we have just been trained since youth. It's on every commercial we see. It's how our neighbors live. That, look, who you are, what you are, and whether or not you have arrived, all depends on the size of your pile And we would never say this out loud because it just sounds arrogant and horrible and dark, but in our hearts we believe. We we believe stuff like, you know what? I love my kids more than you love your kids because my kids can't even keep all their toys in the closet. We think I'm more successful than you are because my TV is 52-inch and yours is 40 In our hearts, we've, God loves me more than God loves you. Did you see the car I drove to church today? Women, my husband is more committed to me than your husband's committed to you. Have you seen the size of the stone? See, I'm happier than you are because I'm wearing Armani. And we would never say that out loud because it just sounds horrible, but the problem is we believe it. And you and I are inextricably glued to our pile. That's mine. I did it, I made it, I provided it, and it is mine. And we're, we're like little kids who, who put a sign on their bedroom door that says, my room, keep out. Joshua did that once can I tell you what I did I walked over to his wonderful little sign (laughs) and then I politely went in and shared with my son and I said you will never do that again and he said why I said, because everything in this room I bought for you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that you and I walk over to our piles and we post little signs on it saying, mine. And God, you keep and I wonder how many times he's wanted to walk over and have a conversation. See, truth be told, you and I and Abraham and Jimmy Stewart <laughs> all struggle with who is provider. There's a second moment in Abraham's life that just defined that he's struggling with the pile, and he's struggling with who gave it, and he's struggling with how do I keep it. The economy goes south, it's Genesis chapter 12, and the adjustable rate mortgage on his tent went up, he's having to dip into his 401k to keep the sheep fed, and becomes deeply frustrated with God because he, he, here's what he's struggling with. How come God gave it and now God is letting it go away? Why, why is God taking some of it away? What, I mean, what was he thinking when he gave, I mean, if he wasn't, he so he goes to his wife, Sarah, and he says, look, I, look, we're in trouble here, and the, pi- the pink slip finally landed on my desk, and the, how, the tents on either side of us have got for sale signs up, and we're, we're just going to have to go down to Egypt and weather this thing out, because apparently apparently, God is not going to protect our stuff, so you and I need to do whatever is necessary to protect the pile. And as they're kind of packing up and getting ready to head down, he turns to Sarah and he says, look now, here's the one catch to this whole thing, and that is when we get down to Egypt, you're pretty uh, good-looking, I've got a feeling they may kill me so that they can take you to be their wife, so tell them you're my sister. To which you've got to imagine, at some point Sarah says to Abraham, really? Well, yeah. If God's not going to protect the pile, if God's not going to, then you and I have got to do whatever is necessary. Whatever it takes, protect the pile. So they get down to Egypt, and sure enough, they tell the story, Sarah is my sister, and the Egyptians look at Sarah and say, well, then, hey, uh, she's marriage material, and she ends up getting taken into Pharaoh's house, and they're getting ready for a wedding, and the only thing that saves the moment is God intervenes, and the Egyptians are struck with some sort of a horrible sickness, Scripture tells us, and they go to their soothsayers and their magicians, and they say, what's going on? And the answer comes back, you've got another man's wife. It's Abraham's wife. And it's interesting. It's interesting that the people who do not know God in that moment have more integrity than the man of God because he's too busy being mad that his pile is getting smaller. And they go to Abraham and they say, Look, dude. We can't even afford to have get out of Egypt. And they send him away. Let me ask you a question. How, how angry do you and I get when God lets our pile get smaller? I mean, when the pink slip lands on your desk, when the interest rate does variable up. When the tires are wearing out and there just ain't no way to buy new tires or the unexpected bill comes and you and I can't believe orthodontists can charge that. How angry do we get when God lets the pile get smaller? Some of us in the room would say, well, no, Lynn, I, I get it. I mean, no, I, I, get I get it. God provided the pile and if, God chooses, you know, he can let the pile get a little bit, sm- I mean, it's okay, I, I get that God, if, if God wants to, you know, make it a little smaller, I guess he could. You, you get that you and I have had a lifelong struggle with God because God has always reached for our pile. It's called the tithe. See, God, God has said from day one, look, I, I provided the pile, I gave you the pile, and just so that I know, and just so that you know, that the pile, I, I'm gonna ask you to always and consistently give a little bit of the pile back to me. And what you and I do next in that conversation, if you and I go, oh no, no, I get it. I mean, God, you provided, I mean, who am I that I would be able to, sure, absolutely. Or if you and I do it and we go into protection mode, hey, no, 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 whoa, God, no, no, don't touch the pile. I mean, what am I going to do if I need a second vacation this year? What am I going to do if the kids need karate lessons? No, no, hey, God, don't don't touch the pile. You get that people who tithe give 10%? have already decided in their hearts who provided the pile and who the pile belongs to. That's why they're not angry about it. This, this is, this, I've told this story before, some of you know this story. I apologize ahead of time, but it's the best story I got, okay, for the pile. Josh is uh, doing that adolescent thing, that thing that boys do is they are uh, hit that growth spurt where they go to bed at night and they wake up the next morning and they're four inches taller. You know the moment. And the only way that you can fuel this is by putting unthinkable amounts of food in their mouths. And so Josh is going through this thing where he's having like five Thanksgiving dinners a day. Just... I mean, the volume of food going in this kid, and you're going, it's somewhere you've got to hurt something in there with that much food. And so we're driving down Alma School, and Josh has already had three Thanksgiving meals that day, and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and he looks at me and he says, Dad, I am starving to death, and if you don't pull over right now, I'm gonna die. We pull into McDonald's, and I said, okay, so Josh, what, what, what does it take? What's the minimum to get you to survive from now till dinner? His answer, you ready? Two double quarter pounder combos, supersize me, please. <laughs> I pull up to the window, they are, they are handing out bags. I'm going, you realize that, that's a pound of beef. I'm handing money back in, had to take a second mortgage. (laughs) As we're driving out of the drive-thru, I made the mistake, I reached for a french fry. (laughs) And my son, I go... Isn't it great that in moments like that, God gives parents exactly the right words to say back? So I looked at my son Joshua, and I said, hey, back at you. That was the best I had. I said, dude, don't you, I, I just bought that for you. Oh. One french fry. You get Josh forgot something in that moment. He forgot who had just provided for him. He forgot that I had enough resources. I could have turned around, got back in the drive. I could have him 10 combo meals if I'd wanted. He forgot that he was going to be hungry again at (laughs) 5. How how angry do you and I get when God reaches for the french fry? How how deeply... And if you and I do, you know we're forgetting something. So God has to take Abraham up the side of the hill because all of his life, Abraham has believed, I provided for myself and I gotta protect my pile. And he says, Abraham, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gonna go to your pile and I'm gonna ask you for the one thing on the pile that you love more than anything else on the pile because I'll know with what you do next and how you answer my request, whether or not you have figured out finally that everything you have, Abraham, I gave you. And it's not up to you to protect the pile, because the pile belongs to me. Go back in the passage. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 9, here's what happens. And when he, talking about Abraham, reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Ready? Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He passes the test. Who provided the pile? who protects the pile Abraham looked up let's see Abraham looked up and there in a thicket verse 13 he saw a ram caught by its thorns he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son verse 14 so Abraham called the place are you ready the Lord will provide you think he learned it And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Here's why this is big for you and me. Because this isn't Abraham's conversation. It's your and my conversation. And God will walk every last one of us up to the pile, and he will say, who provided that And whose business is it to protect? And if I were to ask for some back so that you would know and that I would know that it was all mine, anyways, what would you do? Because here's the answer if God isn't Lord of your pile, I guarantee you he's not Lord of your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, just, we simply come to the moment, and God, we're, gonna, we're just going to be honest. We, there is something so deep within us and so intrinsic to the way we think. We are so much like Jimmy Stewart and Abraham. And, and, and we, have, we have believed in our hearts that we provided the pile and that, that we, we have to protect the pile and even protect the pile from you. And so God you have simply asked will you give me will you give me part of the pile? Because when you do I know that you know that I provided the pile. So God we just stand at a moment we're in the midst of a conversation we get that what we do next says so much about our hearts and about what we believe about you. But here is our answer. Who am I? And who are my people that you would give us the chance to give so generously? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.